0: to speak to you about the coming season and this season of rest. I believe that many of you have encountered sickness and disease in your body as you have struggled through the last season and God wants to bring you into a place of rest and restoration. Amen? Restoration starts with rest. See, the problem is, is that too many people believe they have to labor to be restored. They have to labor to get to restoration. Well, if I just work hard enough, I can overcome this. But the first word in restoration is rest. And when we learn to rest and abide in his presence, restoration happens naturally. It's the proximity of his presence that brings the restoration, not the work. The workload will never restore you. It will break you down. But it's his proximity of presence that will bring it into you. But if you don't know the season we're stepping into it will be more difficult for you because you will believe you need to labor in this season Now make no mistake. What I'm saying is not that we get busy doing nothing What I'm saying is that we stay close to him so as he does we can observe and take part, but it doesn't wear us down So I want to speak into the season that we're stepping into now and it culminates with many of the things that we've already experienced Amen Do you feel the anticipation in the air about what's about to happen? I sense his anticipation. I sense breakthrough. I sense that some of you that have been walking around with shame and condemnation on your life this morning will walk out of here completely set free with the joy of the Lord. I feel the Holy Spirit on that. I sense what he's doing. I sense an anticipation that's building up. Thank you, Father. Lord, thank you for blessing us this morning. Thank you for what you're about to pour out on us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm grateful and honored that you let me stand up here and be a mouthpiece for you. Let me speak only what the Holy Spirit says today. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, help. Amen. See, sometimes I say what the Lord wants me to say, but I like to add some commentary. The Lord is moving up the middle aisle right now. Yeah, I see him right there. Yeah, he seems to be healing someone in the back right there This is amazing. Lord. this is what he does every single time. He's very consistent I like to commentate on what he's doing so I will keep my commentating to a minimum today But what I want to say is I have a prophetic word for the season that we're in So let me just speak into that for a minute, but I'm gonna need to explain a few things All right, I'm gonna need to teach you a few things in order for you to fully understand what I'm saying The Lord came to me and spoke to me very clearly about the season of Jubilee that we are in. A season entering of Jubilee. And and some of you may say uh, amen to that, but some of you are like, I don't know what that means. Amen, we got some Jubilee. I don't know what that is. Is it like jambalaya? Is that that Cajun? What what is that? I knew a Jubilee. She's very nice. I don't know what that means. Well, that's okay. I'm a explain, okay? No, no mansplain. It's just a okay? Uh, no, we don't have no mansplaining today. I already got in enough trouble over that one. All right, so <laughs> the word jubilee, it literally just translates as ram's horn. Okay, so it is it, the ram's horn when it's blown. It's this moment of celebration. Maybe you noticed the little jubilee was happening earlier as we lifted our voices in praise and began to shout. There is something powerful about the shout that even could knock down walls in Jericho. The shout of God has the ability to break the enemy's strongholds, no matter how deep and wide and tall those those strongholds are. The walls of Jericho were not thin walls. They were not short walls, but yet a shout brought them down. And so Jubilee is a moment of celebration. But in that celebration, we are not warring. We are resting. Celebration is a time of rest and renewal, but it actually is warfare and brings the enemy into compliance. Amen? Because as walls come down and we advance. So God brought them into a promise and then they had to shout down the walls. So I believe in this season that God has brought us into a promise. And so the idea of Jubilee uh, was defined in Leviticus chapter 25. Let me summarize some of that for you. Basically, it's a Sabbath year. So every week we have a Sabbath. A day to keep holy. And every seven years you had a Sabbath year. And so seven days, and then seven years. So you had a Sabbath year. But what was remarkable is when you did seven plus or seven times seven, you had seven years of seven years. Okay, that was considered a high Sabbath. Okay, a great Sabbath. And so seven. By seven was 49. Anybody got their math like that? No, I didn't know we were going back to school. 49. Yes, 49. All right, so it was called seven cycles of seven. So the Jubilee was a seventh cycle of seven. And then we would celebrate that 50th, seven cycles of seven, being 49, and then there was a celebratory year. But in the 49th year, there was rest. We would rest in the 49th year. It would be a time when the land would rest. So all of the Jews would no longer uh, farm. They would no longer cultivate crops. They wouldn't work. That year was a year of rest where they had to trust in the Lord that he would provide. And so it was a year of trust. And and the problem with that is, is many times as a Jew myself, as a Messianic Jew, a a Jewish believer, Something has gone erroneously wrong and I've talked to Jews when I share my faith with other Jews and they say Well, I don't believe that Jesus was Messiah And I'm gonna say well then if you don't believe that then you're gonna have to answer to me Why you don't follow the law if you are you live by the law you are judged by the law And you're gonna have to explain to me one how your sins are forgiven since you don't sacrifice anymore So you have no forgiveness of sin How are your sins forgiven well well um, well? Uh, uh. and, and and the, the the law clearly states that you're to honor the Jubilee yet Jews today do not honor the Jubilee They use a loophole in the Word of God that says and all the inhabitants of the land celebrate and they say well Well uh, the the ten tribes are lost We don't have all of the inhabitants in the land therefore. We can't celebrate the Jubilee since everyone's not here. It doesn't say that That is a stretch Okay, that is reaching Beyond what I see in scripture, it says, and all the inhabitants of the land, the ones that are there are to participate. This is an order for the the nation of Israel. It is not an order over our nation. But God does not give commands that are meaningless or purposeless. And so God gave them a command to rest because he understood the significance of it. And there is a serious, look, it's one thing to rest on one day. It's another thing to say, I'm going to take the year off. And We don't know where our food's gonna come from Hopefully we stored up enough grain coming into it. How many you understand that Joseph stored up enough grain for Egypt for seven years? So you had to trust God in this process that during that year it said in the Bible They were just to freely eat whatever naturally grew don't go sow any seed don't do anything But whatever naturally just grows on its own wild that's for everybody doesn't matter if it's your land or not Anybody's allowed to come into your field and take whatever they need and so it was this season of celebration that happened. But I believe that what that season of Jubilee is very significant to us now. And so I want to share this as I walk through this word because the Lord spoke to me and said this to me. He says, in this season of Jubilee, we are in a season of Jubilee. It is a season to celebrate what I, the Lord, have done. I get up here week after week and I teach you about the kingdom of God. I am never political. Hear me here. I don't care what your politics look like. I am never political from this pulpit. You will never hear me get political from this pulpit. I am all about the kingdom of God, the government of God. And when I am not kingdom government, you fall into politics. There is a difference between kingdom government and politics. And so I am about the kingdom of government. Occasionally the politics comes over and plays in my zone and I have to say something about it. Occasionally they come in there and look, the Bible says this very clearly politics, government is separate from God. Okay, and I don't mean separation of church and state. I'm saying that Jesus said this render unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's, but render unto God that which is God's. Here is where, as a believer, as a pastor, as a priest of the house, This is where it comes into my territory. When Caesar starts to come and claim things of God, now it is God's and I must say something against it. As long as that coin has the face of Caesar on it, that's Caesar's. But the second he starts trying to come take the temple, that's God's and I better say something about it and do something about it. I'm going to stand for my faith. I'm going to declare who he is. So what is God's is God's and you will never hear me blur those lines but when the world comes over to my side I will say something. And so I believe that what's happened today this week has been so significant and such a shift for the church. So this jubilee season that we are in, I believe we are in a Jubilee season where God is beginning to bless the church. And I believe that God has spoken that there will be markers that happen in this season that would allow us to walk into revival. I have been talking since the beginning of this year. Since January, I told you we are in the season where the lion is beginning to roar again. And where the church will no longer be silent and we will see victories in governmental realms. We will see victories in our nation. We will see the church begun to be a dominant force in the culture once again. I don't mean we're going to go take over politics. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the church is going to be activated and moving and transforming lives so much that it transforms culture. Our youth went and transformed culture at Walmart and a skating rink this week. Right? They didn't pass laws. They transform culture by being a part of it. So the the transformative power of the church is about to advance. But there was going to be markers of that. And we have to understand, according to the Old Testament, that the, the nation of Israel went through cycle after cycle. They would go through cycles where they were pressed into God. They were worshiping God. They were a holy nation seeking after God. And then they would fall away into false idols, idolatry, wickedness, sin. And then God would bring judgment on them And then the nation would return to him. Repentance would come, and the nation would once again serve him. And I believe we are in that cycle right now. I believe we have witnessed a cycle where the nation is turned away from God, but that God is beginning to restore his people again. And he's beginning to influence the culture at a great level, just like the cycle. But in order to understand that, you have to understand the Jubilee cycle, 49-year cycle. This week, this week something significant happened. And I'm going to step into that, but this is what I want to preference to any of you. I don't know what everyone's background is that's watching or is here in person. And I want to say this. I believe that today, shame and condemnation breaks off people's lives. And so everything that I am about to say, I don't want anyone in this room to think that anything that's happened to you before today, you need to live in shame and condemnation over. There are things I get up here and preach and say, we should not do that, that I have done in my life but I don't live under shame and condemnation. It is not a bow your head in shame moment. And please do not think that I am not sympathetic to what we have been through in our past. But I have to honor the Lord in what I say. What we do from here is what will determine what we get in our future, not what's happened in our past. So we're about to step into that, but nobody in this room needs to put their head down and feel shame and condemnation. We are moving forward into what God is about to do, amen? So this week, we had a significant transformation that happened in our nation. We had the overturning of Roe v. Wade. For you that, and then, come on, you can celebrate that. That's okay. For you that don't understand that, those are the abortion laws that make abortion legal in the United States. I want to explain what this is and what it is not. It does not make abortion illegal. That's not what overturning Roe v. Wade did. All it does is say that the federal government has no right to be in that business They have no jurisdiction on it. They don't get to make a claim. It goes back to the states This is significant for what God is about to do in our nation again The power goes back to the states to decide those states can decide to uphold the current laws. That's what's happening But not all states have chosen to do that I want to make it very clear about what we are stepping into right now Roe v. Wade Being overturned does not mean that abortion has ended in America. What it means is is that we are more divided than ever. It means that now the nation is polarized in a magnitude that we have not seen in a long time. You're going to have some states who are going to use that to go so far, so far to the left, so far to one direction, while while the other states go so far to the other direction. You're going to have some states who say killing babies that are less than a week old are going to be allowed. As long as that person can't, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all, but as long as that person can't express autonomy, then they're not really a person. We're going to have states go extreme. And we're going to have states like ours that say no more abortions, period. That has ended abortion. But so I want you to understand that I have been prophesying stuff like this For a year now, if you remember my word about the fighting in the streets that I saw, citizen fighting against citizen, raising up against citizen, I believe that the culmination of that word has not yet fully come to pass. And you need to understand what's about to happen in this season. Otherwise, you will be caught off guard and unprepared for what's going to come. You can have any opinion you want, but you need to know what God is doing in this season. Amen? And so I said that it would be a stark contrast that I saw light and dark come and meet in the middle of the country. Meet in the middle of the country. That's what I said. And I want you to remember that our coasts are the ones that have one opinion and the middle of the country has another one. And so I saw it meet and I said like this, that it would be an opportunity for God's light to shine, much like you never take a diamond and put it on a white background lest it blends in. You always take a diamond and put it on the least reflective, darkest background you can get. Black velvet is what they would set the diamond on. So it contrasts. So you could see it. And we are in a season of contrast. And I spoke this. I said that we are in a season of Nehemiah. A season where we are building and battling. I never said there would not be battles. I said we would start winning some battles. Amen? and that God was about to do the impossible like he did with Nehemiah, where Nehemiah had no reason to hope that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, but he simply asked, and he was released to do it. And Cyrus was like, sure, everything you need. All of a sudden, government that was against him and kept him in slavery and captivity, that was against him, became his ally. And suddenly in our nation, what was against the church suddenly became our ally. Suddenly God has transformed things where the church is rebuilding the walls, but we are still in a battle. And so as this goes forward, we're going to see battles between states. You're going to see division happen amongst states. You're going to see this happening. But I believe that God is blessing his church and his remnant in this season. Let me explain this. There was a season and a time in the Old Testament where Israel was two nations. Do you remember that? The nation of Judea and Israel. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they were divided. And what happened was, as long as the nation was divided between two separate, we'll call them states, to make it make sense for what God is doing in the season, as long as they were divided in these two states, judgment was rendered by God based on each state's behavior. While one state might have been wicked, the other one was righteous. And God judged not the whole nation of Israel since they were divided, but he judged only that nation which was wicked. He did not judge a tribe in that season. He didn't judge a village. He judged the nation of Judah, the state of Judah, the state of Israel. They were judged as units, as independent units, but not Israel as a whole while they were divided. So what's happened here is that the power has returned to the states. We are divided. There are 50 states. Isn't that interesting? In a Jubilee year. You're going to see some interesting things here. We are divided. 50 states divided. But God will render, I believe, that he has spoken to me, that God will render judgment on each one of those states independently. See, before, we were lumped under a federal system with this. We were lumped in a federal system, one nation, but now it is 50. Now it is each state being judged. And I believe the hand of God is about to come on Oklahoma and bless our state. And I believe that judgment is coming on the others. Let me just make it clear, we're still not talking politics, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about God-ordained destiny, that I believe that God purposed every one of you for a destiny, that he has a calling on your life, and that the word of God is true. And the word of God says this, that he knew you before he formed you in the womb. I don't know a God that is okay with you being snuffed out when he already knew you before he ever began you. And someone says, well, they're not a a life until they're born. Let me tell you this, I don't believe that because it says that when Mary went to meet Elizabeth, when she was pregnant with Jesus, when she walked in the room and Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, it says that John the Baptist, when Jesus entered the room, that he leapt inside her room for joy. So not only was he aware of his surroundings, but he had emotion as well. He had joy. He knew his surroundings. He knew what was happening. He might have been a little blind to the environment because he was veiled, but he was very much alive. If he wasn't a person, why did he leap? And so I believe that the shedding of innocent blood has been a tactic of the enemy. And that one of the reasons why when we went to the promised land, the very first wall that needed to fall was Jericho was because of the innocent blood that had been shed in Jericho that they literally took babies that were sacrificed to Moloch and put them into the wall and built the wall on sacrificed babies. And I believe that God is blowing his trumpet in Jubilee to break the wall down and that the wall came down. Now, how do I know that? Let me show you scripture here. What did I say? 49 years was a Jubilee. I'm still prophesying here. 49 years was the seven times seven. If you did not know... According to the Jewish calendar, every Jewish calendar, i verified it over and over and over that there was no inconsistency and nobody disagreed on this point. Some disappear about the jubilee because the nation of Israel stopped celebrating the jubilee. Remember I said, I don't know how Jews continue to resist Messiah when they've abandoned the law. They do not celebrate the jubilee. They do not honor the jubilee. And they say, well, that's because after we were taken into captivity, uh, all of us didn't come home, so we don't have to honor the jubilee nonsense They abandoned the Jubilee, and I believe the idea of abandoning the celebration of God and honoring the Sabbath that intimate time with God has led to the hand of God coming off and Allowing destruction When God has called you to rest the land Let me explain it this way when God has called you to let the land rest and not cultivate crops It was so the land could be renewed and restored in that year that land could rest nutrients could reform and you were not depleting the soil you are the same by the way in case you didn't know you were made out of soil and you need to be refreshed every now and then did you know that the that your taste buds in your mouth they change every year every seven years did you know this did you know that the cells in your body are completely brand new every seven years that you have a seven-year cycle in your cellular makeup that allows you to transform you're a new person so whatever you did seven years ago, I don't know that person. That's not even me. Not a single cell in my body matches that person. We don't know each other. That wasn't my flesh. That was somebody else. I've been renewed. So, so God knew what he was talking about. The word of God is accurate. Okay, people say, oh, well, it's an allegory. No, it's scientific fact. We'll get into that next month in my science series. So seven years of recycling so the earth could be restored and renewed. And because we didn't, what happens is if you cultivate that land on that seven year and plant on it, the land has a decrease. The land struggles to produce. So what should have been 100% increase from the year before should have been the same result of crop has now decreased dramatically. And I believe that that is a supernatural lesson that even in our own lives, when we don't cultivate a season of rest on our life and we don't allow God to move and we've dishonored the commands of God, they're not just there to be commands. They're not just there to be commands. So, man, people are like, oh man, God's commanded me to do stuff. You misunderstand the nature and character of God. I was talking to my son on the way over here, Isaiah, who's returned home from Pennsylvania. Woo! Got all three of my sons in the house today. It's exciting. But I was talking to him in there, and we were having a dad-son talk. Okay, I'm going to get real for you guys. Uh, children in the room, earmuffs. Uh, I'm going re- <laughs> to get real with you. He, we were having a dad-son talk, and he's like, hey, dad, do you think there's a little hanky-panky in heaven? Do you think that happens when you get to heaven and you're married? Right? He's like, "You think that happens?" We were having a conversation about what heaven and, and the new earth and the thousand-year reign would look like and he, you know, he made that off-color comment to me and I'm laughing about it and I'm like, "You know, we're thinking about it and everything." And I said, "You know, here's the problem is that he says cuz I don't think the purpose of that was for pleasure. I don't think that's its purpose." And I said, "Well, no, it's for procreation. It's to because the first command of God was to be fruitful and multiply. Amen." That's the very first command. Be fruitful and multiply. So many people are so afraid. They don't want to do anything that God commands because that doesn't sound like fun to them. The character and nature of God is if he commands you, he makes it enjoyable. Amen? Some of you need a second for that to sink in. Some of you think you're going to dread everything God commands, but God created a way so that you're going, oh, man, I don't want to do that. And then when you step into the commands of God, you go, you know, that was good. That was good because he's good. That's his nature. Man, I don't want to go witness to anybody until you're praying for someone and they get healed and you're felt. You think you'll hate what God has asked you to do and he doesn't realize. He says, your greatest joy is waiting for you to listen to what I have to say. But unfortunately, we've gotten that out of whack in our culture and our society. On Father's Day, I already told you the biggest problem that we face in America is fatherlessness. The enemy has taken out the cor- the, 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 the soldier, has taken out the spiritual warrior of the family unit that resists the enemy. And he's taken them out of position. And We're fighting half of, half, half, half-armied, half with half of our army missing. And the enemy wants to do that, and he has done that through exactly what we're talking about today. So the 49th year, the land would rest. The land would rest. We have not rested. And so the question is, is what has happened? Is that just a spiritual principle that we look to? Or is there actual real evidence that something in the natural takes place when we do not honor the word of God? And so nobody disagrees that the year of Jubilee, or I should say the 49th, the seven-year cycle of seven, the 49th year, When I looked it up, what's the 49th year? uh, The seven-year cycle of seven, and according to the Jewish calendar and every scholar, the seventh year is the year 5782, which happens to be right now. We are in the 49th, seventh cycle of seven. We are in the 49th year. Now, why is that significant? Because it's the year where we begin to rest. And it's the one where we begin to step into celebration over what God has done. And in the 49th year, we get to celebrate what God has done by bringing life. By reversing a curse and a stain on our nation. Which raised up a generation to believe if it's inconvenient, kill it. And where we've walked out of the command of God to be fruitful and multiply inside the confines of marriage. Therefore, man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We want the pleasure of the command without following the command. And so we have a nation that punishes the innocent for the sins of themselves. I'm telling you right now, I don't care what you've done in your past. I'm not bringing you under condemnation. I'm bringing us forward This is not to condemn you, it's to set you free and release you. But what happened is, is that in January 22nd of 1973, something called Roe v. Wade was passed, which made it legal and made it impossible for a state to make illegal the killing of the unborn. And it just so happens that January 22nd of 1973 also fell on a seven-year cycle of seven years. It was the last one. And on the seven-year cycle of seven years, curse entered our land. And I believe in this seven-year cycle of seven years, on this 49th year, this year of Jubilee, I believe that God has broken the curse and we've re-entered a cycle of blessing on our nation once again. Yeah. And I believe that every time the Bible shows us stepping into a season of blessing, every time the Bible shows the nation returning to a godly foundation, to following the principles of God, every time, every time we've returned there, We've seen revival sweep our land. And the Bible tells us that revival would break out in the land. Every time they would return to the moral principles of God, revival would break out in the land. Every time there was a restoration and renewal, it was followed by revival. Restoration will always lead to revival. When you are refreshed and rested, you can begin to celebrate and party a little harder. Amen? It's hard to party when you're tired. So being restored to God and rested will always bring a season of revival to it. So God is bringing a season of revival to our land. Amen? But we need to understand that this is not just me saying, well, I think it is. There is a history, and I'm not going to go through the whole history, but I am going to give you the last hundred years to make my point clear. I'm going to show you what happened in every single 49th year cycle dating back and starting with the 901 to 902, 1901 to 1902. Remember that the Jewish calendar, usually September, is usually the new year on the Jewish calendar. So it usually falls between two years of our calendar. Okay, just to give you perspective. So 2001 to two, so September-ish, 2001 to September-ish of 2002. That would be the year. In 2000, excuse me, 1901, not 19, not 2002. 1901 to 1902 was the Shemata year, okay, which is the the seven-year cycle of seven years, the Sabbath. And in that year, the stock market wiped out 46% of its wealth. There was a stock market crash of that year. 46% of the stock market plummeted. The next one that we read about, these are all seven-year cycles. So not all of them are the 49, but they're all the seven years. And I'm showing you what happens on these seven-year cycles where America doesn't rest, where where the nation doesn't rest, where where the world doesn't rest, where there is no uh, respect for God's word anymore. I'm not suggesting that we all quit our jobs every seven years. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there has to be a moment where we just begin to understand rest needs to happen, Where, where we start to understand that pressing into our relationship with God matters and keeping the covenant and honoring God's word and his commands over our life are important. If God has called you to something, you need to honor what he's called you to. I'm not talking about digging into the Levitical law. I'm talking about in your own life. If God has called me to step on this pulpit and preach the gospel, then I need to honor the command of God to preach the gospel. And when I walk away from that command, I don't. he doesn't bash me. He's not beating me up. He's not chasing me down and whipping me. I am simply removing myself out of his covering and his protective walls and entering the wilderness where wild things can get me. So I can't blame him like, Lord, I do one little thing wrong and you punish me. He goes, punish you? I'm over here protecting you and you ran away. And you're mad at me because you ran away. Bad things happen. Remember, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like this, a prodigal son and his father. The father had no ability to provide or protect his son when his son was off living with the pigs and starving to death. The father never punished the prodigal son. The prodigal son punished himself. So the punishment is ours. It's not from heaven. Heaven is not beating us down. We walked away and walked into famine. That's what we did. So in 01 to 07, 46% market crash. In 16 to 17 of the 1900s, 40% U.S. market value wiped out. And then German, Hungary. hungry. Austria, Russia, and the Ottoman Empire completely collapsed. Britain was the world's greatest empire and it almost went bankrupt. That was also the year that America began to rise to power. So there was blessing and there was cursing in these seasons. I want you to see the balance here. In 1930 to 1931, that that seven-year year, year, 86% of the U.S. stock market value was wiped out and it was the world's worst financial crisis in modern history. In 1937 to 38, 50% of the U.S. stock market value was wiped out and a global recession started. In 44 to 45, the end of the German Reich and the Britons hold on territory. So we've ended that. Establishment of America as the world's greatest superpower. So we have blessing, we have cursing, but they are dramatic events that happen every seven years. So in 65 to 66... 23% of the stock market value is wiped out. So if you look at the graph, it's a seven-year graph every time. In 72 to 73, 48% of the U.S. stock market value has been wiped out. Global recession hits us, and we vote to kill the unborn, to legalize abortion. And we lost our first war to Vietnam. We didn't have the victory. You might say we didn't lose, but we definitely did not get the victory. In 79 to 80, the U.S. hit a global recession. In 86 to 87, 33% of the U.S. stock market value is again wiped out. In 93 to 94, the bond market completely crashes. In 2000 to 2001, we have the World Trade Centers, and 30%, 37% of the U.S. stock market value is wiped, up, wiped out, and we hit a global recession again. In 2007 to 2008, 50% of the U.S. stock market value is wiped out and the housing bubble bursts and we hit another recession. And in 2021 to 2022, if anybody in here has a 401k, you know exactly what has happened to the stock market value this year. You have seen a global recession at the end of this pandemic. In these seven-year cycles. In these seven-year cycles. But the 49 one were the telling ones. Those are the ones that were marked. Massively marked. Do you see what God is doing here? So, one would say that, so six years of putting my money in the stock and on that seventh year, maybe I should take it out on the sixth year. Now, that might be wise financial advice. I know when I looked this up, I went, oh, I've been doing it wrong. I've been doing it wrong every six years. Go six years, take it out. I want you to understand why almost all of these are so significant that they were the stock market. Because the stock market is our yield of crops. We're not all farmers anymore. The yield, the fruitfulness of business, of labor, is reflected in the stock market. The stock market is our yield And because we overplow in a year where we are supposed to rest, we see the land does not produce. The land has not produced. This spiritual principle is true for us that we need to minister in rest. Now, this is not God punishing us. See, Jesus said, man was not created for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. That's what Jesus said, because they asked him, why are you picking grain on the Sabbath to eat it? He's like, because I was hungry. You're laboring. No, I'm getting a bite to eat. He said, look, man was not created for the Sabbath. This is not a ritual law, but Sabbath created for man. This is a blessing to me to tell me, hey, take a day to rest and let your body be restored. Take a moment to breathe. Take a day to focus on me so I can fill your spirit and stop all the soulishness. There are churches today that the people are broken in turmoil, anxiety, stress. Not because they don't have any word, but because all the words are for the soulish realm and none of them are speaking to their spirit. They are always speaking to their mind, will, and emotions, their soul, and never to their spirit. We're not pressing in to the deep things of God and understanding why God would command us to do these things because he wants to have us live an abundant life. He wants us to live a life of dominion. Someone says, oh, they got that dominion theology. Well, God said, go and take dominion. Yeah, I got a dominion theology because God asked me to do it. God asked us as the church to take dominion. And I believe that what we are doing right now is us taking dominion. We are stepping into a season where we get to celebrate a jubilee again. We get to celebrate what God is doing. And I believe just as we stepped across the river into the promised land that we had to shout and the walls came down, that we have shouted. Our voices have been restored. The lion has roared. And the season of battling and then building is upon us. I believe that a season of revival is about to sweep the nation once again. I believe that some states have now separated themselves and have come out of the covering of the United States and now are free to walk away and receive the judgment of God. They're walking out of the covering of God. But I believe our state, who's asking God, what should we do, Lord? What should we do, Lord? are gonna be highly blessed and highly favored in this season. I believe God is about to move on the church, but I believe it's gonna come through revival. It's not gonna come through more government uh, intervention. That's not where we're gonna see the transformation of culture. That's just the marker for what's about to happen because we need to work on people's hearts. We need to work on people's hearts. When when someone says, well, I'm pro-life because I just don't wanna hurt any living thing. I think everybody should be okay with that. You might be on the other side and disagree. You might have an argument against it, but I can't imagine you hating me for caring about something I believe is living. I don't understand why anybody would be angry at me for that position. I just care that they're living. I'm not mad at tree huggers for wanting to hug trees. That doesn't make me angry. I'm like, that's nice. The environment is good. I like trees. I like mountains. I like oceans. I don't want to swim in the ocean. and I can't see the fish because of the trash. I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not mad at you about your position. We might disagree on how we go about achieving that. We might have a different means to get there, but I'm not mad at you because you don't want trash in the ocean. Why would I be angry? So it tells you that the doctrine of demons is alive and well in America when someone is angry at you because you simply value life. If they disagree, that's okay. But when they're angry and they hate you and they say you're evil because you value life, that is a doctrine of demons. And the enemy wants to kill off the next generation. He wants to take out the Moseses before they're, they're, they're birthed. He doesn't want us floating them down a river, he wants to take them out before they're even born. The enemy has been trying the tactic of killing the born for for millennia. And so finally he went after the unborn. Let's just stop them before they're they're even born so they can't sneak them out. They snuck Moses out. They snuck Jesus out. And the enemy said, no, we won't even let him be birthed. And here's the reality. Is that pro-life, people that are pro-life, I... I'm trying to say this in a, in a respectful manner, but I have to speak the truth. Amen? Am I okay? Okay? Can this Jewish minority say something? I know I look white, but that's just because I never go outside, but I'm really a Jew, so. Okay? I am Middle Eastern. Let me say it this way. The murder of babies affects predominantly way in an unbalanced, scaled way, minorities in America. It affects minorities in America. In fact, I believe the reason why we still call them minorities is because they lie of of abortion. They would, if you look at statistically, if abortion would have never been legalized, you would no longer call minorities, minorities in America. And I just don't believe that anybody can be labeled that they hate other minorities or other cultures when they're trying to protect the life of those cultures that are predominantly affected. When I say I don't want to see a baby get killed, I'm not saying, I, let me just be very clear, I'm going to speak very plainly to my mixed group in here. I'm not saying that I want to see the lives of white babies saved. I want to see the lives of all babies saved. And I recognize as someone who looks at the facts that I am predominantly saving minorities' babies. And I still want to save every one of them. I still want to see them grow up and have a future and a life. So I don't understand how someone can tell me that I that or anybody else that, that I hate a minority when I'm trying to save them and help them to grow and flourish and be not a minority but, but grow. To take a majority. I'm okay with that. That's the real position of the heart of somebody who cares about life. Now, are there people that, that do it uh, angrily and without love? Absolutely. We're, we're, really, we're really good at being the religious church where we do things out of the law and not love. And that needs to stop because we don't help our case by hating someone else for their position. We're no better than them hating us for our position. I am not surprised or upset that the world acts like the world and the world sins. If the world looked like us, we'd have nothing to offer. So I believe that God in this season, I hope I'm not being too plain. I I might be offending you today, but I got to speak the truth. I never talk about stuff that borders this line, but I believe that this is crossing over into us receiving revival or not. But I believe that as we rest, in the victories that God is bringing, that God is about to birth revival on the earth. I'm getting to something here, is that revival is coming. And as I was preparing to give the word that the Lord gave me today, I said, is there anyone else saying what I'm saying? And as I look back through other trusted voices, almost all of them said, they had a word from the Lord that said, there'll be a marker and that they believe that Roe v. Wade will be overturned and it will mark the coming of revival in our nation, that revival will begin to sweep through. That Roe v. Wade was the marker. It is the nation coming back to repentance and saying, Lord, we're undoing what we did. We're undoing the curse on our nation. We're undoing a wrong that's been done. And so now, Lord, now that we've undone it, now God can come and say, now that you've come back into relationship with me, I can put a robe on you. I can put a ring on your finger and we can celebrate and we can slaughter the fatted calf and have a celebration dinner tonight that the prodigal church, the bride has come back home. That's what God is doing. And somebody needs to celebrate that the prodigal church, the bride, America, Oklahoma has come back home under the covering of God once again where he can bless our nation where he can bless our state, where he can bless our city, where he can pour out his glory on us again. So God, forgive us for the wrongs we've done. We write the ship and we declare, God, that we will protect all life, that every one of you matter from conception, from conception until your death, that you have a plan and a purpose of God on your life. I don't care if you're one years old, God can use you. I don't care if you're 120 years old, God can use you. As long as there is breath in your lungs, you have a purpose. And some of you think, oh, well, they can use the young. I get that. But I'm telling you right now, you might be sitting in this room and you say, my day has gone. Your day is not gone because you are still here. If you are alive, you have a purpose. Babies come into this world, kicking and screaming, and you need to leave this world kicking and screaming. Stop. Fight every day until you are done to do the will of God in your life. So many people lay down and die. They end this world with no purpose. I will leave this world kicking and screaming for the gospel to move forward. I will preach as I pass. I will not lay around catching up on Netflix. I got heavenly business to do. As long as there's breath in me, the living God is coming out of me. And so I'm gonna pour out so that somebody else can see the love of God on their life. So I'm not political today. Not political today. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm not playing either because where am I going in October? I'm going out to California to preach, uh, to, to speak the, the main service at a conference called Pray California. What is Pray California? It's David Andrade's big conference. If some of you met David Andrade. He'll be here for Uh, OSI, He'll be visiting with us. But David Andrade, who helped start The Send. The 11-11 became the call from Louie Engle, which became The Send. He was a part of that. And uh, Papa Bill Fowler was a part of all that too. He's asked me to come and speak for the pray California. What is that? We're talking about undoing abortion. Like we're talking about protecting life. Like that's a big part of what's happening here. And we're going out to a place where they're protesting and they don't even realize that they got more rights. See, there's all kinds of people in California protesting. Right now, over over the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But all that did was tell them, you can make up your own laws and California can go off the rails. They're legally allowed to go off the rails. I want you to understand that what happened is not the legislation of morality. That's not what happened last week. The government is not legislating morality. What the government did was say, we have no business legislating morality. They took their hands off and said, you decide for yourself What's moral and what's not? Each state can decide that for themselves. We will no longer be in the business of legislating morality. So they took their hands off the legislation so that the church could be the church. So that the state could decide for themselves. So if we want to be a Judah or an Israel, if we want to be in rebellion or blessing, that is our choice in this season. So I believe that God is about to birth revival. Do you hear me? God is bringing revival. That's good news. God is bringing revival. But some of you, in order to step into revival, you need to first step through rest. And in order to step through rest, you need to get to the restoration. You need to have restoration with rest. So you need to understand that God is not asking for you for labor for forgiveness. You don't have to prove yourself. And I'm gonna close with this. You do not have to prove yourself. And we're gonna celebrate here in the end. I'm gonna have the worship team come up in a minute or two. In a minute or two, a couple minutes. But we're gonna celebrate this out because we're gonna, but we're gonna have a moment of rest and a moment of restoration, and then we're gonna have a moment of thanksgiving and celebration, amen? The church is gonna celebrate what God has done, and we're gonna celebrate what God is about to do. I believe that our celebration is not just a celebration, but it's the beginning seed of real revival being celebrated. It's real revival being cultivated. It's real revival being birthed into the earth. It's being released right now, depending on how you celebrate right now depending on how you increase. But in order to get to the celebration, there are some of you in this room that have walked in shame and condemnation. There are some of you, and maybe not over this particular topic, but this particular topic just may reveal the places in your life to say, well, I don't deal with that. I've never walked through that. I'm going to be very blunt and very uh, forward here. There are some of you that maybe in your past have had an abortion, that maybe struggle with the trauma. Here's the truth is, well over 90-something percent of, of women Hold will tell you they are traumatized from an abortion. That they are horrified by that. They have nightmares. They have lack of sleep. They, they have PTSD from that event. If it's good, then why are so many of our women hurting and suffering because of it? That's what ha- reveals all I need to know. And so I'm not putting anyone under shame or condemnation. I'm not beating you up over what's happened in your past but I'm telling you that God wants to set you free he wants to restore you he wants to renew your land he wants to renew your body he wants to renew your spirit and tell you that it's a new day and that God has forgiven you he's not looking for you to come home so he can beat you up he's looking so you can come home so he can put a ring on your finger so he can put a robe on your shoulders so he can put shoes on your feet and so he can celebrate with you that you're home so maybe you've never experienced that But maybe you have other things in your life that you are shameful over, that you are in condemnation over, and you feel like you can never quite arrive at who God has called you to be because you have a past. There's a reason why every character in the Bible had a past. And so you realize that your past does not determine your future. So I just want you to bow your heads for a moment. And we're going to walk through some restoration right now. We're going to walk through this. Some of you need to forgive yourself. Some of you need to forgive others for what they've done. This is the seventh year, and in the Jubilee, the seven year of seven year in the Jubilee, you forgave all debts of other people. All debts were wiped out. The land was allowed to rest, and all debts were wiped out and returned. So there are debts that people owe against you. There are wounds, and there is unforgiveness that you carry that needs to be wiped out this morning. You need to forgive and release the debt that someone else holds against you for the wrongs they've committed. You need to release yourself from shame and condemnation, the debt that you think you owe God for what you did do. You need to release the debt. You need to forgive and release and say, I hold on to this no longer. Whatever that is that you are holding on to, this is a serious moment where God begins to break things off of you. I wasn't joking today. There was not a lot of punchlines today because what we are dealing with is the very soul of revival that's about to hit our nation. So we're going to get all that junk out of the soulish realm so God can fill the spirit. Amen? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes because this is very personal today. I don't want you looking around. This is between me and the person and God and nobody else, not even my leaders today, please. Is a private moment. But if you are living with things hanging over you that have been done to you or that you have done, that have left you stuck, have left you unable to move forward and cultivate your life, that have not allowed you freedom because you are still holding debt against someone else or holding debt against you, And you need to be able to release yourself to rest and restoration and celebration. I can't celebrate because of what's happened to me. And you had these things happen in your life that you are still holding on to shame and condemnation. I'm going to pray and release that over you. But part of that is just the moment of admitting it and saying, hey, that's me and I'm going to break that off. So I don't want to just know if that's you. I want to know if you're ready for it to go. I want to know if you're ready to be released. You're ready to be set free. You're ready to release the burden that's on your life. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to wait. I want you to believe that God is about to set you free. Are you ready? One, two, three. Raise your hand if that's you. Come on. Hallelujah. You can put your hands down. In a church of the bride, in the church of the redeemed, in a church of those chasing after God, It's amazing to me how many people still struggle with shame and condemnation over their past. But we're going to break that off in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, I just want you to give God permission to heal this part of your life. Would you just, everyone in the room, just say, God, I give you permission to heal this. I forgive myself and I forgive others. Now heal me, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just declare right now that every confession of release, Lord, that you just begin Holy Spirit to move. Holy Spirit to release the trauma, to release the hurt, to release the pain, to release the land, to release their flesh, the soil of their life from holding on to this trauma that's brought decrease. So right now, I just release the enemy's authority to accuse the enemy's authority to bring accusation and condemnation and shame in the name of Jesus I release all shame and condemnation in this room every assignment to bring you under shame must be broken in the name of Jesus that you are not subjected to whether you did it right or wrong but that right now God is releasing you and putting you back in covering so right now in the name of Jesus I release the blessing of God over you The peace of God, the shalom of God that surpasses all understanding is pouring out over you right now in the name of Jesus. Right now, shalom. Peace of God, come. Peace of God, come. Break off every shackle of condemnation. Break off every chain of rejection. I feel a spirit of rejection that some of you feel so unworthy because of the rejection so, Father, right now, I just declare, rejection go in Jesus' name. Healing come right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, begin to minister to our hearts, Lord. You are the counselor. You are the comforter. Would you counsel and comfort right now in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name, would you counsel and comfort those that are hurting right now? I release it in Jesus' name. I release the enemy's authority to speak to you condemn you anymore in Jesus mighty name. Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come? Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.